welcome to the Soul Deep podcast, where we dive deep into the edges of life where the body meets the soul. Sharing personal stories of struggle and breakthrough, the guests on this show let us know what is up when it comes to healing, happiness, and new heights of pleasure. Hello, beautiful souls. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you geek out on men's psychology and mental health, boy oh boy, are you in for a treat, pun intended. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Chikizi on why men need the language of emotions, communication, and vulnerability, and why we all need to step out of fear and into love when it comes to the evolution of the masculine and the feminine, and how we can come to really work on ourselves, to balance out our energies, and ultimately live a more empowered and authentic life. This episode flew by for me. It went so quick. I just enjoyed every moment of it. And in our soul deeper session, Chikizi and I dive into what it means to do a social media detox and why that is so necessary for your mental health. Now, I'm sure you're listening like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about digital detoxing for what feels like forever. Well, this guy, he does it for a full weekend for three days straight at the end of every single month. And he's done this for the past couple of years. And after hearing his experience, I'm a, I, might, um, I might hop on that train. <laughs> so if you want to join the Soul Deeper community, you can do that through Patreon and access the after show. A little disclaimer before we dive in. The volume is a little bit uh, generous to myself, Um, (laughs) so I might sound like a giant in this episode, but I can assure you I'm actually a very small woman. Uh, Just some uh, technical issues there, still still trying to figure out some things, so hopefully that is not too distracting, and without further ado, without further babbling and rambling from me, please welcome Chikizi to the Soul Deep podcast. Welcome to the Soul Deep Podcast, Chikizi. Thank you very much, SJ. Lovely <laughs> to be speaking with you. I'm so glad to have you on here. I've been super looking forward to this episode. Um, but before we dive in, as you know, I would love to know what brings your soul to life. Hmm. I find that question very... Because it's the, it's the kind of question that takes you really back. Um, and for me, it goes way back for me because the way that I would like to answer that question is to go back to my childhood, is to go back to my dreams, is to go back to um, some of my life's important trajectories. But really being the adult that I am now and in the stage of life that I am now, I think that what brings myself alive, I say one, is when I am being my fullest, most authentic self. And for me, what it means in in simple terms is when I am living in the confidence that I matter as a human being, that I am good enough, and that I am here for a purpose, and that 
um, I am free to live beyond people's judgment and that I'm free to express my humanity in the best possible way that I can. And so what brings my soul alive when I am living authentically in a way that reminds me that I am human, that I'm loved, that I'm flawed, that I'm imperfect, but also perfectly imperfect, and that I can live my truth and live in a way that breaks all, kind of, all kinds of stereotypes that I have struggled with uh, from childhood. And yeah, that's the first thing that brings my soul alive. The second thing that, bring, that's, that uh, sparks my soul into life is when I am doing what I love, when mm -hmm. I am doing what I love. And for me personally, I find that the work I do is very important to me. Be that, um, so the work I do, by that I mean my career. I am an academic, I'm a researcher, I'm a writer. And so I find very, I find pleasure in my work. I am someone who likes to work. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a I, I used to be a workaholic. I used to only work and work and work and not play. But that has changed, of course, over the past five, four years, four or five years. Um, so I love I love the work I do. I love my work as an academic because it gives my life meaning because it's what I love. And so my my soul um comes alive when I am in that space. The 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 third thing that brings my soul alive is um, when I am connected to my spiritual GPS. Mm, yes. What, yes, what Oprah Winfrey calls spiritual GPS, when I'm connected to my divine spiritual frequency, which is God. I am, mm. I'm no longer a religious person. I used to be, but I am very much a very spiritual person, which is much more important to me. So, yeah. Wow, such a beautiful answer. I love asking this question because I always get so many different answers every time. And it always kind of boils down to what you talked about living in integrity and living your most authentic self. And I really, really love that you said that because just to add on top of that, I think this is where true happiness comes from. True happiness is a byproduct of living your most authentic expression. And then I also love that you talked a little bit about um, how your soul comes to life in the work that you do, because I often hear this, you know, you know, when, I, when I'm, anyone finds their dharma, yeah, this is, this is how they know, because they feel this energy rise from somewhere that they've maybe never really felt before. And you know, I'm a spoken word poet and I've got a lot of poet friends and I always hear them say, you know, poetry brings my soul to life or I'm so in flow when I'm writing poetry. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely feel that. I get that. But I also get that truly when I feel like my, my soul and my body is one, is not just when I'm doing, but it's when I'm being and being in integrity and totally authentic and honest to myself. So I love your answer and I definitely feel on par with you with this, um, with this journey. 
Also, I'm very glad to know that you're playing more because that's very important. <laughs> oh, I'm playing more. I'm playing more, definitely. I have been working since, I have been a hard worker all my life. And, mm -hmm. and so I have been someone who, have, who, who, who has worked for everything that I have got. Everything that I've got in my life, I've worked for it. Not to, and this is not to say that I have not been helped by mm -hmm. a, tremendous, a tremendous amount of people along my journey. But I can tell you that I have been that child who worked so hard in school to be the best, to get good grades, to make my parents happy, and to, to get the best education. That was why, I mean, I had a PhD at, at how old was I? I had a PhD at 32, 32 years old. So I have been studying all my life, trying yeah. to better myself, trying to make, um, to work towards a better future. And so, but I recently realized that five, four or five years ago, I began to think about um, life work balance. Well, some people hate that word, but I think that's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> because you may not really find a balance, but for me, it became important for me to strike a balance between my work and um, and my life outside of work. And so I realized that there are so many things that I love to do that I have not been able to have courage to, to do, have courage and the time to do. And so I told myself, I have to recalibrate my priorities. And that's not to say that I'm, I, I will no longer work hard, but I have to factor in play and fun and relaxation. And yeah. Because for me, it really literally saved my life because at, at a point in my PhD, I nearly lost it because it became such a, a struggle to write, to, to move on with the program and everything. But, and my mental health was in was was everywhere so i began to take interest in sports in fitness in doing things that just take me away from thinking about my thesis and my work and it really literally saved my life and so for my mental health these fun things and relaxation and doing the things i love is very important to me now and i can't trade it for anything right now yes i love that so much i think Work-life balance is almost like another way of saying having a masculine and feminine balance as well. And I think, yeah, we're definitely going to dive into it soon, but the importance of this is unlimited. So before we kind of go any further, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Talk Masculinity, because this is how I found you. And when I found you, I very quickly was... I got to get this guy on my podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, to tell you the truth, um, SJ, uh, talk masculinity was never something I wanted to do. When I, first, when I first began to think about the effect of toxic masculinity in my own life and the lives of my brothers, I have two brothers and some of my male friends, male, close male friends, I was terrified talking about it mm. because my, my first instinct when I discovered that there's that there's a problem here my first instinct was to write about it 
because you know I'm an academic, I'm a writer. I, I write not just academic things, but also opinion pieces, um, articles and stuff. And so I decided to summon the courage to write about it. So I wrote about it and it was published in newspapers in South Africa. <laughs> wow. It was everywhere. And that article generated the buzz I never expected it to generate. <laughs> Radio stations were calling me for interviews. Church magazines were calling me for, you know, for them to reproduce the article. Other, other, other platforms were calling me for, for them to reproduce the article. So it became, yeah, I was surprised. But so let's begin by the fact that I wrote it. So I finally decided to write it. And I shared some stories from, you know, stories from what people told me and from my own life also. And so my argument in that article was that many men are dying in silence. In fact, I think it was titled, Why Many Men Are Dying in Silence, something like that. And my argument was that, look here, we have to realize that men have issues. Men have problems. And I know that women have been historically marginalized and oppressed. And feminism is all about mostly them, but we should look um, look at the, at, the, at, the, at the other side of the issue, which is men, to know that these men uh, are going through certain things that patriarchy and the society are not allowing them to be honest about, to, to give them space to, to talk about. And so I shared a few real life examples and my own life and, and, and to just say that we should also, also be mindful about men's issues. And not just that, but also that we should encourage healthy masculinity. We should do away with all the toxic, uh, uh, all the toxic masculinist uh, practices um, by letting men know that they, I mean, letting men know, show their softer sides and to, to be more human and humane, to allow the room to be more human and humane rather than the toxic, societal expectations of what a man should be and how a man must portray himself. Um, yeah, so that was how talk, how talk masculinity started. So after the article and the buzz that came with it, I went home to Nigeria, my home country. I was there briefly for some research project. And then I was called to give a keynote by Rotary International. You should know uh, Rotary. Mm -hmm. International is this big philanthropic organization, right? So mm -hmm. there's a there's a branch in one of the cities in Nigeria, Abuja, that they were doing the anniversary or something. And so a friend of mine was the, I think the president or something of that branch, of the Rotary International of that branch. And he knew me as somebody who advocates for men's issues. <laughs> so he invited me to give a keynote at that anniversary. And I went and talked to them about toxic masculinity and everywhere broke loose. <laughs> it generated a lot of electricity and oh my goodness. And that was when it dawned on me that this is a serious issue. And so many people are so ignorant about, mm -hmm. about the effect of patriarchy and about how patriarchy marginalizes not only women, but also men. And so when I came back to South Africa that year, I 
I decided to create this Instagram account and call it Talk Masculinity. And my aim is really to educate, to highlight, and to, to raise conversations about this particular issue. Incredible, incredible. And I just love how when you kind of stood in, stood into this role and this action and you decided to write the paper, write the article, that universe or God just said, yes, here you go, you're on the right path. And then all of a sudden, you know, opportunity just was springing like flowers. And I think it's very, very beautiful. And I bet, you know, you must have felt so held in that part of your journey to know that, yes, um, and we're all here for it, definitely. I'd love to... I'd love to get a little bit clear on, you know, what is toxic, immature, unconscious masculinity versus the healthy, mature, conscious masculinity? Toxic masculinity has its roots in patriarchy, which is the idea that the man or the male figure is the head of everything and should be given more opportunities and yeah, more opportunities than women. And, and so, but also beyond the elevation of men above women is also another side of it, which is the unintended, sometimes unintended or intended consequence of um, heaping, heaping a lot of responsibilities or expectations on, on men. And by that, I mean that historically men have been the, the ones who were regarded as providers for their families, who must be the stronger gender, the protector, the, the provider, the, in all of these um, metrics of what a man should be. And so my idea, is that these are toxic because uh, it, it heaps on men these um, unrealistic expectations of who they are, who they must be, and how they must behave. That is why many times the way that boys are raised, because this, this thing starts from socialization uh, points in society, from right when, when you are born, you are socialized by your family, from there to church and then school. And then the whole society has this agenda of um, heaping expectations on, on the male gender or the female gender. So when men are, when boys are raised, they are told that you have to always uh, show strength. You have to show, you have to show um, that you are a man. You have to not show emotion. You have to always be strong. Mm -hmm. You have to always protect others. You have to 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 act and appear tough. Mm -hmm. um, and so, little boys are not given the language of emotion, how to ex how to better express themselves or to even engage in a healthy way with others. And mm -hmm. so, they grow up, and that's where problems such as the ones targeted at women begin, because men feel entitled over women's bodies they feel they, they feel they feel more powerful than women they see them as second class citizens they see them as things to fiddle with so these are where the problems begin 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the aspect of expectations, many men grow up with that mindset and then they begin to struggle. When they begin to struggle with, with, the, with society's expectations of, of, of how they must be, then when they're not able to provide financially for their families, they begin to... That's why some men just run away from their families. Some fathers mm-hmm. are absent fathers because they, they can't handle the expectations that come from knowing that they are the man in the family or the male figure, like the society want, wants them to be. So they, they abscond, they run away without reasons. They, they, they beat their partners, they, they, are, they are harsh to their children. All of these problems spring up just because society has this uh, toxic idea of masculinity. So that's how I would describe toxic masculinity. And then healthy masculinity is the opposite of that. And it advocates for a masculinity that is mindful of men's humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Healthy masculinity is mindful of men's humanity and men's weaknesses and men's flaws. That men are humans. Men are not superhumans. Men, men are humans. Men have flaws and weaknesses and should not always, should be given the room to exercise their emotional vulnerabilities, their emotional agency, and to just be, to not have that expectation heaped on them. And to, to so healthy masculinity advocates for humanity, for compassion, for love, for, 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 for men to have the virtue of communication and compassion for others and vulnerability um, and, to, and to be comfortable in their, in their imperfections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, so beautifully put. I think it's so important to kind of understand and really categorize what it means to, you know, to be on unconscious or to be immature within like your masculine nature and and vice versa as well because I think sometimes people are like really afraid of when you know terms and labels like toxic masculinity um they they shy away and I think it's one thing that I've found in this kind of work is that the more you dive into it you know the more you realize that it's not about you know, what level you're at. It's not about um, being labeled as toxic masculinity or like being labeled as like conscious. It's about understanding that, you know, this is a spectrum and every single person on this planet to some degree is going to have internalized misogyny. And, you know, we live under the umbrella of patriarchy globally. So everyone is going to have to do this work, you know, including women, including men. And Mm. And I just think, yeah, it's it's so important to just really understand that um, and not be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to look at this. Um, I, I know like in the past, you know, I'm such a super feminist. I always have been thanks to my incredible mom. But like in the past, I've been so, you know, um, rejecting of anything about toxic masculinity from my own point of view and it took obviously my evolution and maturity to realize like holy shit I've got maternalized misogyny and I've got a ton of work to do and you know this is why we are this way and yeah Yeah, I was a very good point because I like the fact that you recognize that 
that fear is a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. fear, of, fear of engaging with this conversation. And it's what is stopping it from growing, from being more, more out there in, in, in the mainstream. So for the, for the men, I find that why they are scared to talk about toxic masculinity is because some of them fear that when you take this idea of toxic masculinity seriously, then it means that they will give up their male privileges because mm -hmm. of the gives men the, uh, you know, certain privileges. So they're scared of confronting their privilege, the privileges that they're gonna lose when you take the idea of toxic masculinity seriously by when you remove that power that society has given to them as the men, um, then you then it may mean that they're, they're, that the quality of their maleness is going to reduce, but that's not true. And then for some others, is the is the fear for some men it is the fear of how they are going to grapple with not living in what they are, what they were. The fear of grappling with living with what they are not, what they have been familiar with. So when you have been familiar with living as a man in a patriarchal society and with all the privileges that it gives you, they are afraid of confronting what is at the other side of of, of the divide. Living in a healthy way, what does it mean, and how is it? How are they going to come to that place? So it's the fear of doing the work that is also the problem. The fear mm -hmm. of consciously and deliberately recognizing and acknowledging that there's a problem here and that you have to do the work to, you know, to make things better. Then for the women, I think that the fear comes from a place of maybe when you bring in the idea of toxic masculinity into, into discourses around femininity, uh, in, into feminist discourses, then you are going to take the focus off of women. You're mm -hmm. going to take the, the, the focus off women and project that focus on men. I think many feminists that I find um, lack the understanding that for you to achieve, for us to come to a place of a gender just world and for feminism's goal to be achieved, men's issues and men have to be in the conversation. You cannot divorce men from it. And so I think that's where the, the, the fears are coming from. Absolutely, 100%. It's all about the intersectionality. And, you know, I think like, and I speak from my experience, it's much easier to hate men and hate the patriarchy than it is to actually sit there and face your own sort of shadow. And the, the interesting thing is, you know, the more you quote unquote, like hate, or the more angry you are, the less anything is changing because what's actually happening here is you're doing it to kind of validate a sense of being right or being a victim or like clinging on to, you know, what it is that, you know, much like you just said, but then what you're actually left with is you're the one that's angry and nothing's actually changing. So you're just continuing this cycle of being like either angry if you're identifying as that, or, you know, toxic if you're if if that's where you're you're falling into uh, unconscious un immature whatever way you want to put it um and the other thing is like we're talking a little bit about fear and the fear that I see a lot in in my kind of world at the minute is that 
these discussions are boring and you know not fun and like dampening and the vibe and all this kind of thing and it really like pisses me off because I'm someone who's super like fun and bubbly and like I like to play and like have have the crack as you know um but I also don't shy away from this from this arena and this kind of discussion because it will inevitably increase your happiness and your your experience of pleasure in life because when you become more conscious and you realize how you are living and where out of alignment you are you can actually step into right back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast your most authentic self and you can just keep going up the ladder of consciousness and actually realize that you're not here to sort of buy into the the aggression or into the kind of immature way of being, but you're actually here to level up and, you know, help other people in the process. I think what you're kind of doing is lighting the torch and passing it, you know, and it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be dull. It can be like, I don't know. I geek out on it. Like, let's talk about interpersonal development. Like, yes, let's go level up our consciousness. And then, you know, and then what you have is you get men and women or you get people, let's just say people together who are more aware and more conscious. And then you can have the best time of your freaking life because you're not playing these sort of roles that are like mimicked by patriarchy, you know, like freaking shadow puppets. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely here for it. Yes, you're definitely right because many feminists or feminist women they don't know that by their some of their actions that is based on lack of understanding mm -hmm. they, are, they, are, they end up perpetuating patriarchy or they end up perpetuating the problem because like you described when you're not ready to have the have the difficult conversations when you're not ready to do the hard work that is required in your own self and then helping another person to see the light and when you are comfortable in your victimhood um it locks any opportunity for you for for the problem to be resolved and so it perpetuates the problem rather than solve it exactly exactly Mm, I know this is a juicy episode, my friends. And if you're vibing, go ahead, take a screenshot, upload it to your story and tag Soul Deep Podcast so I can see. And if possible, leave a review on whatever platform you're streaming from. This really helps the podcast grow, reach more people and connect like-minded souls. And if you want to go even deeper, become a Soul Deep patron for as little as £1.11 per month, where you'll get access to exclusive Soul Deeper sessions with the guests on this show, where we spill juicy tea and give you free love, guidance and advice. Search Soul Deep Podcast on Patreon and join the community. So Chikese, I would really love to know what's been the hardest part of this journey for you? Hmm. The journey of my life or in terms of toxic masculinity? 
I'm going to leave it open. I'm going to leave it open. This is the Soul Deep podcast. So wherever you feel called, I want to know, I want to know something that you've gone through that's been a struggle that maybe was a difficult conversation or a realization and where you find the meaning in it, where you find the light, because chances are, if you went through a struggle, somebody else is going through the same thing. True. Very true. Hmm. I have struggled with feeling that I'm not enough and that I, that I am undeserving of love. And this came from childhood traumas that, um, that were unhealed for a long time. And so, you know, I grew up in a, in a relatively large family. My parents have, have had uh, because my dad is late. So um, we are six children of my parents and I am Me the too. <laughs> and I am the fifth one. I'm the fifth one. And I have two brothers, I have three sisters. And um, so what you see is that in such a large family, I grew up not being the one that is loved the most, if I can put it that way. I grew up not being the one that is center stage or that is given the most attention, you know. Um, so from early on, I learned to, to fight for myself, to, to, to be my own person, if I can put it that way. So I, I, I constantly struggled. And, and I was this kid that, you know, I, was, I grew up and I was an introvert. I didn't make friends easily. I was very thin, you know, very thin. And I faced some bullies in school. And so my only saving grace while growing up and going through all of this, my only saving grace was the fact that I was brilliant. I was doing well in school. I was always, I, I was always the, the first in my class. I, I was always getting the first position in my class. And so it was my intelligence, if I can put it that way, that distinguished me in my family. So my siblings and my parents, they knew that, oh, that I am the brightest kid in, in the family. And even, I mean, even, even in our neighborhood, people used me as an example to their kids also. But that didn't make me feel any better because I really wanted to feel a love that is deeper in a way that it comes from my parents or the people that I care about. And so I grew up thinking that I wasn't the most important of my siblings and stuff like that. And so when I, I grew into an adult, I, those kind of unhealed traumas became a problem for me in relationships, in relating with others, and even having friends, long-term friendships. And I remember that growing into adulthood, I didn't have much close friends. And I would only make friends with people that are older than me. <laughs> and it was a problem for a long time until I began to heal from all that and to begin to do the work of being my better self. The other thing that I have struggled with is the idea of masculinity and about how the kind of, my idea of what it means to be a man. 
for myself and for the family and for the society. So I've always, so when I grew up not liking football like everyone else, I grew up not playing it. I grew up not playing with other kids. I was this weird kid that only loved to go to school and study and that was it. And so I wasn't into all the masculinist things that other boys and, and men were into. And uh, so when I grew into adulthood, I began to feel ashamed about it because I would see other people discuss and talk about and do other and do things that are masculinist in, in nature that are that show that they are men. You know, where do you showcase your 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 masculine strength and prowess and stuff? The only thing I had was my brains. <laughs> the only thing I, I ever relied on was my, was my brains. A really strong brand though. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so it was a struggle coming into a place uh, a place where I'm comfortable in my maleness and living um, on my own terms. Uh, and it, um, it, 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 I didn't get there until like five years ago when I began to more conscious, when, I, when my consciousness, my spiritual consciousness started to elevate, I began to, to work on my mental health, on my beliefs, on my, uh, on my personal growth as a person. And yeah, that's, these are the places that I have struggled the most. And uh, lastly, I've struggled the most also in terms of recognizing that it's okay to sometimes fail. Mm. That has been a very remarkable one for me because I am a perfectionist. I believe, I always believe that I have to do everything right and get it right. There's no room for failure and that anything that I put my hands into, I have to do it well and I have to succeed. I, you don't say no to me. I have to get my way. Um, if I'm into any project or anything, it has to go well. There's no room for uh, failures and all of that. And it was a struggle because um, in, in recent years, I faced a tremendous amount of failures. And it really taught me that I need to be kinder to myself. I need to know that life happens and life should be lived one day at a time. And that failure does not mean that you are less than. That failure is just a normal part of life that also makes room for success and happiness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Feelings are non-binary and they are literally here to be felt. And I cannot believe how much we have in common. Like I relate to everything that you just oh. said. The like perfectionism, the being a high achiever. I was a super high achiever in academia as well. Oh. And the the self-worth issues that, you know, ultimately stem from from the inner child kind of being starved of the love that they craved and this is something like I want to dwell on a little bit because I've been doing like a lot of inner child work myself and I I realize you know every time something comes up for me um with this kind of work almost every single time 
I boil it down to something about my childhood. And now, like, it's not to say I had a bad childhood. Like, I didn't. I had a very good childhood. But this is the thing, like, this is where we kind of this is where we're formed, you know, and mm. no one really escapes childhood mm. untraumatized in some way, shape or form, right? It's just, it's just life. And, mm. you know, for me, I, for me, one thing that I realized is when, because I didn't get the kind of the love that I craved, right? I got it in many different ways, but the, but the very kind of instinctual love of like being, always being surrounded by people no sorry not being surrounded by people right so I kind of felt like you know from the outside I have this big family and a lot of people in my life so it looks like I'm well cushioned but the truth is is that I felt super alone because my brothers and sisters are much older than me my parents were much older my mom had like four jobs my dad was like mentally ill so I was actually always quite alone and then what happens is later in life you you learn to find validation in other ways and then you constantly use this as a measure for your self-worth and your kind of idea of success so much like you very very into academia and research and things like this and then I started getting validation from that but also what was really um, what was really damaging for me as a young girl was when I got, you know, in my teenage years, I got a lot of validation from men and from boys. And that was a downward spiral because then I was like, oh, OK, if I'm pretty, if I'm funny, if I'm smart, if I'm like cool, then I'll get validation. So all of a sudden I was like no longer living for myself, but living for this, you know, false sense of love and validation that just was, you know, not healthy. Um, but obviously, you know, on, like it's all a part of, you know, my journey. And, and I understand that this is, this is what leads people like me and you to do this kind of work. And for me now, when I do a lot of healing, it, it is very much related to my inner child. And I'm wondering, how have you as an adult kind of come to um, really get a grip on these kind of really ingrained self-worth issues from a very young age? Hmm. First of all, it's interesting that you mentioned validation, uh, validation from work, because that is pretty much my own story. I... And remember, I said earlier that I'm a hard worker. I, 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 work, I work too hard mm -hmm. sometimes. And so that was one of the make, um, coping mechanisms that I had to cushion the, the impact of the loss and the emptiness that I felt inside and the, the ways that I wasn't receiving the love that I craved for from my family and, and stuff like that from childhood. So I threw, I always threw myself into work, into work and work and work. And that's why when, when some people see the things that I have done at my age and, you know, they begin to say, wow, you've done so much. Um, but they don't know that sometimes your success may not necessarily mean that you're the best. Mm -hmm. it, it, it may mean other things because success is always very subjective. And so maybe part of my reason for 
for the success that I have achieved in my work is because of the way that my trauma threw me into a, a coping mechanism that meant that I had to always work and work and work to show that I matter, to show, mm -hmm. uh, to gain some kind of validation from, from something. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started to be more self-conscious, so you asked the question of how did I come to this place of um, recognizing it and working towards a more healthy um, state. I would say I have to attribute that to my spirituality. I have to attribute, mm -hmm. attribute that to my spirituality because um, like I said before, I, I used to be a very religious person, but I began to, I, six years ago, I began to question many things about my religion and about my place in that religion. Mm. And it took me on a journey of self-discovery and not just self-discovery, but also rediscovery of God and divinity and the higher power. And so I began, I, I went on a journey of, of my own. So I stopped attending church like from 2016. I, I stopped many of the doctrinal and religious practices, like always going to church, like always doing this, do that, don't do that. I stopped all of that. And then I began to be guided by the Holy Spirit, by the, you know, by the spiritual consciousness in me. And it took me on a, on a great and life-changing journey of questioning and tearing down all of the beliefs that I've held onto and then bringing out of that experience, something beautiful, something authentic, something mm -hmm. very much, um, I don't know the word to describe it, but so I stopped all of that and I, I began to, so, and I, I didn't make any effort of my own, but I began, I think there was a, a higher force that, that was acting and moving me in the direction it wanted me to go because I began to be, to get exposed to, videos of people talking about the same things my heart was yearning for. I, be, I mean, on social media, I would just come across uh, by chance a, a video or a, a, a spiritual teacher uh, that, you know, is talking about the things that my soul was yearning for. And I began to follow them. And in recent years, I, began, I discovered Oprah and then <laughs> Oprah, Oprah and the spiritual uh, teachers that she listened to. And I began to listen to them, to read them mm. from then on. I mean, and also my own personal relationship with God became better. I mean, I had, I began to have my own personal uh, spiritual guidance, my own spiritual routine that is not based on any doctrine or religion or church or denomination. And um, so, and this started really uh, in three, no, it started in uh, 2016, but I can tell you that I, it, it became much more clear um, three years ago. So 2018 until now, it has been amazing. The things that I have um, dropped, the things I have le uh, I've learned and relearned and um, it, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been an amazing journey. And so my spirituality, 
this new path of spirituality that I was taking on by a higher, a higher power have, has, has now made me to um, make peace with my past, with my traumatized childhood, with my, um, that little boy that was always feeling unloved mm. and yearning for something much more to deal with all of that and to come to a place of healthy state of mind. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. What's your favorite kind of spiritual practice at the moment? What kind of things do you get up to? Oh, I love to meditate. Mm-hmm. I love to meditate. I love to pray, but not pray in a way that, you know, praying for a long time. My prayer is almost every, every, it can be, my prayer, uh, my praying lifestyle is spontaneous. Mm-hmm. So I can be, I can be in an Uber and I'm pray and I'm and, I, and I'm muttering some prayer under my breath. I can be doing anything. I can be doing laundry and I'm and I'm I'm praying. So my prayer is can be found within the practice of living in the moment, living in the now. Mm-hmm. So I'm always like coming because I'm a very anxious person. I suffer from I suffer from anxiety a lot. Mm-hmm. I suffer from fear of unknown, fear of the unknown, fear of what is going to go wrong the next moment and so trying to center center myself all the time uh, into the now it's very important to me so I always calm myself down saying a short prayer asking the Holy Spirit to help me asking uh, asking for peace to fill my heart and for me to live in the moment and so that's one of my favorite then the other thing is listening to 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 music um, oh yes yes same I absolutely love like shamanic music or like drumming or like anything anything that's super high vibe I would recommend beautiful chorus if you've never heard of them I think you would love them beautiful chorus beautiful chorus yeah oh I love it you mentioned uh you mentioned coincidences and it's it's so beautiful because I do feel like when you're in alignment and when your soul is integrated with your body, there's no such thing as coincidences, but this is how we, this is how we receive them. Synchronicities and, you know, synchro destiny as Deepak Chopra talks about, um, just falls all around us, falls all around us like snow because we are living in integrity and we are on the path, the right path. And like, this is how you know, and you feel guided and you feel held. And, and I totally vibe with that. And, you know, one thing that's been really helpful for me is when I get super anxious and when I get sort of like super, super stuck in those self-limiting beliefs and in that place of kind of like seeking validation and like also when, when I stop working because I need to and then I get anxious because I'm like oh I should be doing something like because of this you know bullshit productivity culture that is a child of patriarchy sometimes I get like oh what am I supposed to be doing what I do is I just drop the pin down to my inner child and I ask her what does she want and usually it's like 
I just want to chill. I just want to be like, stop putting all this pressure on me. Stop, you know, looking for validation. Like, I just want love. I want hug. I want Netflix. I want snacks. And it's like, okay, okay. So sometimes like, I think you can do dancing. You can do meditation. You can do whatever you want and call it spiritual, but you can also just be, you can go for a walk and that can be your spiritual practice. You can watch Netflix and that can be your spiritual practice. It's all about no, and another spiritual practice that I love is hiking. I love to go to, oh, the yes. to, to hike to the mountains, up and down the mountains. And each time I go, it's a spiritual practice for me because I'm not just taking the walk or, you know, taking the hike up the mountain. I am, I tell myself that I am experiencing God in its fullness. I'm experiencing the, the vibrational frequency in the environment, mm-hmm. in, in nature, experiencing the beauty of God and in the beauty of what he has created. And that also opens my mind to possibilities when you are standing on top of, of, the, of a very high mountain and you're looking at, down at the world and you're like, this is incredible. I can do anything. Um, God is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Nature is beautiful. Mm. It's amazing. So, yeah. Oh, I love that so much too. It's been so long since I was on a mountain. I mean, this lockdown is just about time to be over for me, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Shakizi. I have one more question before we wrap up the session. And it is, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Mm. Wow, my younger self, some advice. And I, I, I have always imagined, imagined where my younger self is. I mean, if my younger self would appear before me now, I've always imagined what, what, what I would say to him. Um, first of all, I have this, when I picture my younger self, I always, I always feel pity for him. I always feel a, a little bit sorry for him because I think he was too hard on himself. Mm. I think he needed to be kinder to himself. So maybe I will tell him to be kinder to himself. I'll also tell him to, to know that um, everything falls into place eventually. Mm. Because he's always so full of fear and anxiety about the future, about uh, the present. And so to tell him to, to calm down, to take life one day at a time, and that everything will fall into place eventually. And that the fact that he doesn't understand what is, what is happening to him right now does not mean that those things won't make sense later. They will make sense later and he will see the higher reason for everything that has happened to him because the, 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 there is purpose in his pain. And if, he, if he's just going to be patient with life, he's going to see the beautiful things that life um, has in store for him, irrespective of the fact that he has come from a place of pain, of abandonment, of neglect and, and, um, and shame. Um, so I will also tell him to have self-gratitude. Mm. I think oftentimes when we talk about gratitude, we always see gratitude as something we should give to others. So I would say that self-gratitude should be 
as equally important. We should thank ourselves all the time. We should look ourselves in the mirror, call ourselves by name and say, Chikezie, thank you. You did well, you are amazing. Thank you for what you did at this place. Thank you for what you did in this situation. Thank you for accomplishing this. You are incredible because many times we lose perspective. We do so much all the time that we lose perspective on how amazing we are. And so we're constantly doing, constantly doing, constantly doing, never taking a breather, never stopping, never stopping to thank ourselves and to recognize um, the work that we're putting in, how amazing we are. So, it's, so I will tell my younger self, always thank yourself um, because you truly deserve to be appreciated because you are an incredibly hardworking, brilliant, um, amazing, loving person. Oh, I absolutely love you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I, for one, needed to hear it. I've really enjoyed this podcast episode, Kizi. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, SJ. It's been amazing. Um, I think it's been everything I envisioned that it will be and more. Thank you. It's been awesome. And I hope um, that when people listen to this, it's going to shine a light in somebody's heart. It's going to resonate with many people um, like us who are you know, desiring for change, for, 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 for self-growth and for, for, for balance in our lives. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. And for everyone listening, you can find all the links to Talk Masculinity in the show notes below. That is the end of our episode, friends. Thank yourself and your soul for continuing to show up and tune in to Real Talk and Good Vibe podcasts like this. Don't forget, if you want exclusive access to the Soul Deeper sessions, click the link in the show notes below to become a Soul Deep patron and stay up to date with the show on Instagram. Until next time, remember you are a star wrapped in skin and nestled within your flesh and bones is everything that you need to feel.